Welcome to Chowder and Grits, the podcast for ACC and Hokie sports. I'm Justin Cochiola alongside Tim Hurth. Today is Friday. That's right, Friday. Happy Friday, everybody. January 24th. We're talking Justin Fuente. He's coming back to Virginia Tech. I know that makes a lot of you happy. I know that makes a lot of you angry, but, you know, we're going to be positive about it. I think it's a good thing. We're talking Hokies men's basketball, 14-5. and Mike Young, get that statue built. We're talking transfer portal, what's going on, and we're talking Virginia Tech 2020 football schedule release and what our expectations are and uh, what some of your expectations are. I think they're pretty much in line with kind of what we expected of 2019, which I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. I have a little bit higher expectations. I know Tim does as well. Before we get to that, Tim, what's going on? I'm sitting at the kitchen table right now, uh, surrounded by boxes. Uh, The family, uh, we're moving to the Shenandoah Valley, which is one of my favorite places uh, in the entire world. And I got a a pretty good job offer to head out that way. So we're packing the family up as my wife and I are expecting the new baby anytime now. Uh, My life is turbulence. I don't even know what day it is, Um, but I'm here and we're podcasting. So that's a nice break from the... uh, you know, the stress that I've been introduced to for the last week, week and a half since I've accepted this position. But you know what they say, timing is everything, and mine is always awful. Yeah, yeah, you could not have picked a better time to up and uh, move the fam. You know, yeah, right, crazy. Right before a, a newborn is coming into this world. And baby watch is stressful, man. It is, oh, it's, man. Not, it's not fun. You think it's going to be fun, but then it's just not fun at all. Because you really no. can't do anything. No. You can't you You're can't really lockdown. leave. Yeah. No. I mean, I was going to, this past weekend, enjoy, enjoy a nice adult beverage. Uh, and as I was pouring it, my wife was like, hey, uh, what are you going to do if I go into labor? And yeah. I put the cap back on the liquor bottle. Yep. So, yeah, it's going to be a dry household that. until that day comes. And that's fine. I'm super jacked uh, to meet my new daughter. That's going to be a really, really fun time. You know, my baby girl, Audrey's really excited to be a big sister. Mom's looking forward to more mom duties. Um, and, you know, I'm looking forward to getting back home and being a little closer to Blacksburg. Well, you know, that, that is exciting for you. I'm, uh, I'm happy that you're, you're heading out that way. Um, you know, speaking of... of being a dad you know i've got a pretty rocking dad bod right now so oh yeah i've been back in back in the gym trying to get get fit not to brag i don't want to you know you know show up anybody here but um you know i'm getting pretty jacked pretty quickly so i'm pretty excited about that but the gym etiquette thing tim uh i've i've actually been without headphones the last couple of days and Wait, uh what you went yeah. to the gym without headphones why yeah. would you do that yeah i i just forgot them i forgot do you them. enjoy the sound of men grunting <sighs> no no i don't um it it's a completely different experience it really is <laughs> I bet um, it is. and as as somebody who you know is a gym vet who who's taken some time off you know i'm, I'm back into it now good there are just good so many things that just infuriate me when I'm at the gym. And this one was actually kind of outside of the box. It wasn't the guy curling his beard in the locker room. Wasn't that with a <laughs> uh, with a blow dryer on it. Of course, of course, how else do you curl your beard? I mean, come on. Um, it wasn't it wasn't that that I'm going to talk about. We were uh, well, I wasn't standing with anybody. I was, you know, taking care of business. And uh, I heard a guy, he looked up at the TV and they were talking about Zion Williamson and his uh, rookie debut. And oh, yeah. so he, he looks up at the TV and he reads the super, you know, the headline that they had on the TV. And he goes, will Zion win rookie of the year? It's <laughs> pretty good. I, I like that and, pronunciation. Uh, I've never, never been more annoyed. Uh, luckily, the guy he was with uh, corrected him angrily and said, it's Zion, bro. Um, so, no, no, this was a different guy. So, it was just all kinds of people just kind of really, you know, frustrating me throughout the day. But It happens. I mean, once it's one of those things, when I have one of those days, it's something initially that sets me off. And then everything even mildly irritating from that point out is like the worst thing to ever happen to me as the day progresses. 
Um, well, you know. you know, the the thing with the Zeon comment is even if you don't watch basketball, don't don't you know who Zion Williamson is? I mean, like, it's a pretty point, big probably. name, right? Pretty I mean, big you name. Should, even if it wasn't that Zion was a thing, I mean, that but word, not, no matter what context it's written that. in. Yeah, right. Is it's Zion. Zion. Right. Z-I-O-N. It, you know, just doesn't, you know. So why don't you give the podcast a little taste of what you thought? Um, well, you know, for me, it it was like a completely different candy. I felt like I was in a new category. Right. Um, yeah. So they didn't really come off as M&Ms to me. Like when I'm eating M&Ms, like you've got the milk chocolate, you've got the peanut, you know, you've got, you know, crispy or whatever. I don't even know if they make those anymore. I hope but, not. Those were the worst. These were like, I think somebody commented on the, the the post that I had on Twitter that uh, they're balls of wax, which I don't even know what that means. I guess, <laughs> I, I, guess milk, I guess white chocolate doesn't exist. This guy I mean, was I don't like, know. This guy was. It, it doesn't have cocoa in it. I think is game. the thing. You yeah. know, so, yeah, but I, I don't really think it, it, that would qualify as wax either. I mean, it tastes a little better than that. I hope. No, yeah, it was good. I mean, they were they were good, you know. Good. I felt like I I wasn't eating like M and M's. I just felt like it kind of belonged in its own special category. Yeah, yeah. Well, good. Get you um next time Halloween rolls around, they make a candy corn flavored M and M, which is made with white chocolate. It's pretty good. I think you'd like it. Again, it doesn't taste much like an M and M, but uh, it's good in its own right. And so, not to jump around here, but you know, I was talking about the NBA. So the NBA All Star Game. It's going to be in Chicago. Right. And I happen to live about, you know, five miles or so from the United Center. So I was like, oh, I wonder how much a ticket is to the game. Just curious. Right. You know, not the biggest NBA guy. You want to take a, a gander at, or a guess at how how much a ticket to the NBA All-Star Game is? Like just, a decent ticket? Just to the game. No, just to get in. I don't know. Was that get like 60 bucks? $1,400. No, no, sir. Not in my lifetime. So Never. I'm on the NBA website, and it's like they're, they're called packages. And I'm like, well, I don't want a package. I just want a ticket. Right. So I try to find the tickets. Can't find it anywhere. So I go on StubHub. It's an upsell. It's about $200 more. To the NBA All-Star. Have you ever watched the NBA All-Star game? Um, I watch it probably every other year. Well, the score is like 185 to 181, typically every year. Like, there's no defense. It's not actual basketball. No, you're no, just no, going not to at like all. see players like run around the court and. It, it's a bit like the Harlem Globetrotters are when you go see them play. Very there's, similar. There's no defense, and yeah, they're just doing tricky stuff. And I just know? I couldn't help but think, I'm like, you know, the Super Bowl's coming up. Unfortunately, my team will not be involved, which might be a good thing, depending, you know considering how they played in the NFC Championship game. <clears throat> um, but we talk about ratings are down and or, you know, attendance in stadiums are down. $1,400 to go to an all-star game, that means nothing? I think that's problem number one. No? Yeah, I mean, that's way too much for any basketball game. Any basketball game ever. And I mean, yeah, in, in general. So the Super Bowl, the minimum ticket you can get, $5,000. Yikes. And it's like, that's in the nosebleeds upper deck. Like, I'm sorry, I'm a huge football fan. Never. I'm never spending $5,000. No, I mean, that's just fiscally irresponsible. Absolutely yeah. not. So, Absolutely not. You know, there's just, there's there's an issue going on in sports today that infuriates me. At least it, from a, attending a game standpoint. Yeah. I mean, you know, the prices are going up everywhere it seems um you know i was looking at what they charge for some of those nice seats at the miami marlin stadium uh a couple years ago i was blown away it's no wonder people aren't going to these games and paying these prices you know they're gonna have to start lowering these prices to get people in the stands because now you're competing with hd tv in my couch and homemade nachos or whatever i would eat for a ball game i mean that's that's a stiff competition there uh you know you're gonna go to the game you're gonna spend all that money and you're gonna get hit up ten dollars a beer fridge or probably 50 cents a can uh if that it, man this is 
<laughs> the, the cards are stacked against professional sports right now. Well, I mean, I, I don't think college is immune either. And I mean, no, no, no a, it's not. It's, it's, look at a place it like has Virginia the same Tech. issues. Yeah. I mean, Virginia Tech is even more difficult because there's nowhere to stay. There's not enough hotels for the demand. And the reason right. there aren't the hotels is because year round, there isn't the demand. So, right. But it's 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 tough when you want to go there. You want to tailgate. It's an all day commitment. Yeah. Um. So you know, I just think that's kind of dying a little bit. So why don't we, uh, you know, jump in since we're going to be talking about going to some football games here with sure. the twenty twenty schedule coming up. Um. Uh, so Justin Fuente, he, you know, he's back. Let's talk about that first. And, sure. Uh, you know, we talked about it on the last podcast. We didn't know what was happening at the time other than, you know, Baylor was interested and Pete Thamel of Sports Illustrated had confirmed that, you know, he was interviewing for the Baylor job. Interesting kind of just 48 hours, uh, more or less. You know, we had no idea where Fuente was. Um, not that we need to know because we're, we're fans. <laughs> um, and I think what happens is, you know, you hear all these rumors, and they were so wrong as to what was happening. Oh, for sure. And people, I think, take that and run with it. You know, the imagination runs wild. And, you know, I think what we did in our last episode was we were just kind of talking about it theoretically. You know, hey, if he does leave, you know, who's going to, you know, backfill it, things like that. That's yeah. fair enough. Which that speculation is fair, given what actually happened. I mean, it seems yeah. that he was fairly close to going to Baylor. Yeah, and I I want to say this. Anybody who faults him for interviewing and or listening, whatever it was, to Baylor, I just don't think you're living in the real world. And no. you're talking about more money. You're talking about a program that has better facilities currently, which is sad. If you if you stop and think about it, um, and you're talking about getting closer to where you're from, so I mean, on paper, that sounds pretty good, Tim. I mean, and and Chip and Joanna Gaines, and Chip and Joanna Gaines, you know, you're you're gonna be right there in Silo Country, okay? Shiplap. So anybody who holds that against Fuente and and thinks he's got one foot out of the door, I mean, I would just tell you to be quiet a little bit because I, I think that's an unfair assessment. Now was was timing great on this for Virginia Tech? No. Is that Fuente's fault? Not really. I think what the you know weird part about everything was what was really kind of unnerving was we spent all this time talking about the coaching staff, waiting for it to get filled out. You know, they make the final announcement about the the last coaching hire. Um you know, the same day that the Baylor, you know, job announcement breaks, that right. to me would have been messy and and challenging on Babcock's standpoint. And I think the the other weird thing is after Fuente either declined the job or withdrew, whatever happened, you know, it sounds like to me the offer was on the table based off of Witt's comments to the media. Yeah. So absolutely. The weird part for me, Tim, and I'm sure it's the weird part for you, but I don't think it's a negative one way or the other. I think it's just the way Fuente does business. Babcock had to come out and, and talk to the media, whatever it was. It was just kind of a a teleconference about kind of what happened, and here we are. Fuente's on the road recruiting. He felt like his time would be better spent there, which you know I don't really disagree, but I feel like for Fuente's sake, it would have made a whole lot of sense to just go ahead and, and put this thing to bed because it will come back to life eventually. Um, but I'll say I'll I'll let you kind of react to that a little bit before I, yeah. I kind of give you uh, another perspective that I think is is probably beneficial and or kind of a hard pill to swallow for Hokie fans out there that that don't believe this. But um, I mean, what what was your thought on how how everything transpired? You know, it, it transpired. It is, what, it is what it is. I don't know any coach in America that's not going to listen in that regard. Obviously, it's the talks seem to get to a fairly advanced stage. Um, and I think the biggest point of contention for Hokie fans, and at least for me as far as 
next season goes, the best scenario was always Justin Fuente coming back. Um, there, there's no doubt that that you know to have our best season next year, we would need Justin Fuente to to hang around, and for that I'm grateful. Um, I do wish he had answered uh, some questions from the press. And I try not to be too critical of him because I, I guess I get the answer, but I do think the answer is a bit of a cop-out. Um, it doesn't take a whole lot of time to show up and answer questions for 30 minutes you know, in Blacksburg. You don't even have to take questions. No, but to make a statement, just, just anything. And, and it's not for me as a fan because I think fans deserve answers. The, reasons I, the reason I have this stance particularly is because I think it would make an impact to recruits and players. I think it would mean a lot to especially recruits because the players he can talk to behind closed doors. And I'm hopeful that he did. I imagine he did. Otherwise, it'd be an awkward off-season conditioning routine that he's involved with right now. Um, but especially for recruits and people on the outside looking in, um, you know, I, I think that left open a big chance for Fuente to just make a statement of intent when it comes to what he wants to see from the program, where he wants to take it. And it didn't have to be super detailed, um, but something you know along the lines of, hey, I'm here in Blacksburg, and this is home to me and my family. Um, and, and we've got one mission, and that's to win an ACC championship. Anything along those lines, I think, would have went a long way. So for him to not take that opportunity, I think to speak directly to recruits with no sort of recruiting violation, and really get everybody back in his corner because regardless of whether it's right or wrong to feel slighted, a large majority of Hokie Nation did feel uh, kind of unhappy with the move he made to Baylor. So you can you can get a lot of birds with one stone there. And for me, it just didn't make sense as to why you wouldn't capitalize on it. And, you know, I've heard the argument that Witt coming out and answering these questions was the same. And I have to disagree there. Um, it's not. It's nowhere near the same for me. I'm hearing the head coach speak after there was so much speculation and uncertainty, I think would have been a good thing for multiple reasons. So, um, you know, I'm not, I'm not one of those guys that's got his pitchfork and, you know, you know, banging Fuente's door with it, but you know, it would have been nice to see. It's not the end of the world. Um, you know, but, but maybe take those questions, I think next time. You know, the one thing that I think really kind of stood out to me was, and again, these this is not reported fact or anything, but the rumor is Fuente was surprised at, or has been surprised, with the facilities or lack thereof at Virginia Tech since arriving. Right. And I think kind of what that's alluding to was, you know, before he got here, you know, the end of the Beamer era, there's a national perception that, you know, Virginia Tech is this juggernaut in Southwest Virginia and, you know, it's a program that's built to last. And that can be the case. I just don't think it's there right now. And there's there's a number of things that need to be addressed from a facility standpoint. And don't be fooled. I think the picture that Fuente posted was very intentional. It was his coaches grouped around a bunch of tables. (laughs) They could barely fit, and Virginia Tech doesn't even have a big coaching staff relatively to a Baylor or a Texas or an Oklahoma. And they could barely fit around the tables. You know, it looked like... I can't even say it would look like the worst conference room in in the building where I work cuz right. that would be a lie. We don't have one that looks that bad, you know? Right. So it's like that to me was intentional and you know, I think Fuente's in a position now where he knows 2020 is his his year. Okay? It's it's his defining moment as head coach at Virginia Tech because the pressure's on him, and not because, you know, the fans need him to succeed or, you know, it's wit. He knows that the time is ticking. You know, he's got all of his guys there now. This is his team. This isn't 2016, okay? This isn't 
Larry uh, Larry Coker at Miami after Butch Davis. This is Justin Fuente's 2020 team. And I think even if he was on the verge of taking the Baylor job, I think the ability to come back and coach this team this year is something that was a little too hard to give up for him. Because yeah. everything that he's been building up to at Virginia Tech has been this year. And it's not necessarily that he set out when he took the job in 2016 that 2020 is going to be our year. That's our year. No. It just happened to turn out that way. And yeah. even with some of the attrition we've seen in the portal with some of the NFL draft stuff, you know, whatever, that's pretty common, you still got 90% of the team coming back, starter-wise. So I think from that standpoint, Virginia Tech should be pleased that he's coming back. I don't think it's that he, since he talked to Baylor, that he's got one foot out the door. I don't think it means that he's not committed to Virginia Tech in the future. What I do think it means is if he wanted to leave at any time, he absolutely could because he's, he's got Virginia Tech kind of bent over a table right now with his contract yep. because Virginia Tech can't really buy him out. They can, but they can't. Okay, They just don't have the money to. They could buy him out. They would have money to go buy another coach. I'm not saying like that's a possibility unless he just completely like just went off the rails in 2020, which I don't think is going to happen. But at the same time, it's only going to cost another school a million dollars to go get them. That's that's what the buyout is. That's that's what is owed to Virginia Tech if he's hired away. You know, that's just bad structure from a contract standpoint, I would say. It Easy is. Easy for me to say it now is. sitting here in this seat. But, you know, if you're going to give a guy a huge buyout, then you better have it on the backside, too, to protect yourself. Just like Baylor, it was $6 million they got from Carolina to go get Matt Rule. So I mean it's you know it's it it is what it is. Fuente's back, he's here for 2020. You know, I think this is the year that we see Virginia Tech either take a step forward or we don't. And if we don't, you know, I think there's a lot of questions to be addressed about, you know, what the future is, what needs to be done. I think what we know here sitting today in January is that Virginia Tech does have a facilities issue. They do have a funding issue. You know, it's not that they're underfunded. Funded. It's just they're not funded to the level of a program that should be competing for national titles. No, Baylor the, the, the has key passion. there, too, is they're not funded to the level of the program that Hokies think they have and think we should be and think we are. And that's the bigger issue because like a bubble in the stock market, the farther that gets away, the bigger the crash. And unless we do something to get our facility game up and to actually put money into more spots in the coaching staff and really invest like we're serious about this thing, um, you know, you're, you're looking at a house of cards type situation. Uh, so that, that is alarming. And that, that's something that certainly needs to be addressed. And I'm hopeful uh, that this hopefully opened some eyes in the administration uh, and, and opened some eyes maybe in the president's office uh, and speaks to intent and what we need to do to keep Virginia Tech where Virginia Tech belongs. Um, and, and, you know, it, it's been a while since we've been really seriously consistent ACC championship contenders, um, but the opportunity's right there. And the longer we wait as an administration to fund what we need to fund and to get serious about football, the slower and slower that door closes. And at some point, one of these, you know, three stooges in the Coastal Conference is going to figure it out and take a stranglehold on that conference because on that side of the conference, just like Clemson has on the other side, because it's just too wide open right now. And you've got programs with histories that that have been good and been good consistently that have been down for far too long. And somebody's going to pick themselves off the map, off the mat. And you hope it would be Virginia Tech. And in order to do that, there's going to need to be some more investment uh, financially from the administration. And, and, and maybe that was one of the potential outcomes of this foray with Baylor 
that Fuente had is that we'll wake up. And, and I'm hopeful that we will. So I look at it this way. I look at what happened, whether Fuente stays for the long term or not. Fuente did Virginia Tech a huge favor. Yeah. Because what he did was, meaning to or not, he's shined light on Virginia Tech as a program that they're not up to par from a f- facility standpoint. So what does that mean? Say Fuente leaves, you know, you're going to have a hard time going out and getting, you know, a high profile head coach to come to Blacksburg when your facilities aren't fantastic. Because if your facilities aren't fantastic and you're in Blacksburg, it's tough to overcome. Now, if your facilities are underwhelming and you're in Southern California, that's possible to overcome. Okay. Because that was the knock on USC for years, even when Pete Carroll was there. The facilities yeah. were awful, super outdated. But it's it's Southern California, you know. It's right. it's sunshine and beaches, you know. You got you got streams and trees in Blacksburg, and that's that's not a knock on Blacksburg, but it's not necessarily the most attractive to, you know, eighteen year old football stars coming out of high school. You know, they spend the vast majority of their time in offices, in weight rooms, on practice fields, and practice facilities. You know the the whole running out of lane stadium you know that was talked about quite a bit from guys like bill roth and um you know people close to the program and they're there six seven times a year tops you know there's just not a lot of football there's not a lot of their football time throughout the year that's being played there now their most important football time is played inside that stadium but you need more you gotta sell me on more and i think what we're seeing today is Virginia Tech needs to decide who they want to be. Do you want to be Blockbuster, or do you want to be Netflix? Because if you don't adapt, you're going to be Blockbuster, and you're going you're gonna to fade away. Okay, And if you don't continually invest in the right things, in the right, the right facilities, the right programs, I could care less about swimming. Okay? I'll be honest. I don't care. If you're Virginia Tech, you need to invest in in the things that are going to bring you money. Your revenue sports. What's that? It's football and it's basketball. Love Castle Coliseum. It it looks like a disaster on the outside right now. The stadium needs some tender loving care. Maybe a power wash or two just along the the outside, maybe the roof. Just little things like that. You know, it's perception. Do you care? Do you have money to care? So I think that's kind of the boat Virginia Tech's in right now. And I, I think it's taken nothing away from Whit Babcock. I don't think this is a Whit Babcock issue. What he's done since he's been in Blacksburg has been fantastic. You know, I think he's taking the athletic department as a whole to to new levels. You know, we're seeing kind of an influx in different sports. You know, we've got other you know, a lot more success from a student athlete standpoint. What was happening was the Jim Weaver days were, you know, I'm not going to say everything was ignored, but it had been a long time since anything big had really been done to kind of freshen up the rest of the university. Maybe that's a fair assessment. Maybe it's not. That's how I see it. And, you know, hey, if I go and buy a 6,000 square foot house and I live in it for 20 years, and I don't do anything to it, it's going to be a whole lot of money I have to put into it to make it attractive for a buyer. And in this case, the buyer is either a head coach or it's a recruit. you got to no. make that house pretty. I and agree. Green Tech's got and some work to do. We coasted on the Beamer era. We didn't innovate during the Beamer era. We lived on our name. And there's nothing wrong with that. It took us to some high heights. But like you said, if you're not renovating, if you're not improving... If you're not trying to keep up with everybody, then you're dying. And right now our football program was dying on the vine a little bit when it comes to football facilities and those kind of things. Facilities in general. Um, and, and hopefully they get addressed. And I, like I said before, I think this is a wake-up call. I think they will. I think they're going to take steps in the right direction. And make no mistake, this is not only on the administration. This is on us as fans, us as alumni. Um, you know, everybody's got to chip in. 
and and hopefully some some more fundraising efforts will continue to be taken out and and I hope that Wit is able to um, you know work some magic there because for our alumni base and the size of our alumni base you know I looked at the numbers but I couldn't quote them um, for as well as our alumni do uh, we we don't give back as much as as you would think to the athletics compared to some pretty similar universities. Um, you know, so riding that ship in the future, probably big and, and high on Wit's list of things to do. Yeah, so, you know, that that is what it is. You know, I think we've hit on it enough. Um, you know, I thought David Teal had an interesting story, uh, either, I think it was last week, in the last week. Uh, David Teal, obviously friend of the program, Daily Press. Um, he had a story highlighting Fuente since his arrival at Virginia Tech and whether or not he is committed to the program, which he didn't answer. He was just kind of staging a rhetorical question there. But from a program standpoint, Virginia Tech has been the second best team in the ACC since Fuente got here. Which, you take two ways. One, hey, I guess that's okay. I mean, wildly mediocre, I would say. Um, In a bad conference, is how I take it. And there's really no other way to assess it. Virginia Tech hasn't been bad under Fuente. They haven't been great. They've been pretty average. You know, one and three in bowls, not good. Uh, one ten win season, a eight win season, a nine win season, I believe. Um, and then obviously a six and seven season, a loss to UVA. So things that Virginia Tech's not used to: a losing season, loss to UVA. You know, those those things aren't aren't great for the perception. But I think at the same time, the reality is in the ACC right now, even with everything that's happened in the Fuente era. And I've said this multiple times. More or less, it's been more successful from a win standpoint than the last four years of the Beamer era. Now, has it been pretty? No. There's been a lot of off-the-field noise, things like that. Uh, It's been a little hectic. You know, until, you know, the October of this year, like, we were on a really bad stretch of Virginia Tech football. One of the worst stretches I've, I've ever recalled just from a, a wins and a losses standpoint and how they were losing games. But, you know, I feel like there was a point last year where Virginia Tech turned a corner. And even in the games that they lost, they lost Notre Dame and, and UVA, I'm talking after after September here, uh, in the bowl game, they were still in all of those games. And so 2020 is the year where you win those games. Okay, you don't lose those games anymore. You know, you, you execute better. I'm tired of hearing about poor execution or play calling or whatever man 2020 is the year so that's where we're at as a fan base that's where we're at as a program so you know buckle up hold on to your hats fuente's back uh it looks like we're gonna have a pretty solid recruiting class in 2021 if everything holds um but that kind of takes us into the transfer portal so you know we we have seen a few names tim enter the portal um and it's not just virginia tech like the portal has been very active across the ACC uh, this this year, and yeah, across the nation. I mean, yeah, I mean, this across, is, yeah, across the yeah. nation for sure. This is so, a college football yeah. uh, all over epidemic here. Yeah, and I mean the the thing the thing is, it's like okay, yeah, you're gonna lose guys to the transfer portal. Stop freaking out about it. <laughs> Just yeah, it's, it, it's it's exhausting. It's part of the game now. Okay, yeah. I mean, if they don't want to be here then they shouldn't be here. And that's okay. I mean, every every player's got a different story. There's a different situation. You know, and I think from Virginia Tech's standpoint, you know, the biggest loss for me so far has been Dalton Keene, and that's that was an NFL entrant. Sure. Um, you know, Jacob Pinkney was an interesting one just because of, you know, he was a young guy, um, was a highly rated recruit, and, you know, didn't see the field. Even though he redshirted this year, he still had a chance to play in in four games and, and didn't see the field. I didn't think he gave it a fair shot, but at the same time, the guy that really recruited him here, Jafar Williams, left for Alabama. So maybe that was part of it. And uh, also remember, we don't know what circumstances may have led to that. He could have a family member that's gotten sick. There, there's yeah, a whole there's myriad no of things no that could be going on. Yeah. Um, Damon Hazleton. You know, he's a guy who, unfortunately for him, I think, think he's under utilizing his talent for whatever reason you know I think there's a reason he started at Ball State 
There's a reason now he's transferring to his third school. There's something about his motor that I think is is a challenge from a coaching staff standpoint. I think that's why it took so long for him to hit the field this year. Wasn't surprised to see him go. And, it, you know, at the same time, if, if he's going to be the number one receiver, you're going to need a little bit more out of that. I would feel much better with Trey Turner as the number one option heading into next season. I, I mean, it's a loss. I'm not going to say it's not a loss to not have Damon Hazleton. I mean, I, I think the guy has got gobs and gobs of talent. Just for whatever reason, we just, you don't get it consistently out of him. So we'll kind of see where he goes. You know, Hezekiah Grimsley, again, wasn't a surprise to see him go. Caleb Stewart, you know, somebody had to leave out of that running back room. Khalil Ladler, you know, I'm sure there was a, a chance for him to come back and compete for some playing time next year, but he's he's going to try his hand at the portal, and there was a few other guys that, that went in there. But, you know, at the right. end of the day, these guys can come back. So there's still that aspect of it. Um, and the other piece, Tim, is, you know, we were over the scholarship threshold. So we kind of needed some guys to leave. Not that we want guys to leave, but that's just kind of the situation we were in. So we'll, we'll kind of see what happens. But what was, what was your take on what, what we've seen from the Hokies attrition? None of it is really surprising to me. Um, you know, go and look. Every university out there just about has similar numbers in the portal. With the rules that have changed and with guys looking around, it's become super commonplace, uh, especially for those guys like Khalil Ladler, who has one year left, can transfer with immediate eligibility as a grad. Um, you know, if you don't see yourself in your final year as being, you know, a starter, what, what's holding you back at this point? Unless you love the school, but you're convinced your dream is to play in the NFL, or you just want to play in your final year, I get it. And the thing about the transfer portal is it goes both ways, right? We've got a lot of guys leaving, but I guarantee you we're going to backfill with a couple of key pieces. Absolutely. That's the that's um, the new game. And I, right. Fuente plays it pretty well. He does. And so let's get comfortable with it. I mean, look at the transfers we've already brought in. Um, you know, Herbert should be an absolute different maker. Blackshear from Rutgers is looking like he's going to add a nice piece to our offense from a kind of line him up anywhere standpoint. Um you know, I'm 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 really really hopeful uh, for. I think 2020 is great. I don't think we've been damaged. I think Hazleton's a big loss. Um, you know, but what are you what are you going to do? It's it's the name of the game. It's part and parcel how it works. Now you can't get upset about every transfer. You're going to exhaust yourself because it's going to happen next year and the year after and the year after that. And with football teams signing bigger and bigger classes, you're you're always going to need to get under that 85 scholarship limit. Um, and in some cases, you plan for it now by oversigning because you know guys are going to be transferring. It's just the way of the world. So don't get worked up by it. And just know that anybody's going out, by and large, unless it's your starting quarterback or somebody truly unforeseen, there's somebody coming in. And I'm sure, you know, as an answer to losing a red zone wide receiver, big body wide receiver, we're going to be bringing in a big body wide receiver to make up some of that red zone presence. Yeah, believe um, it or not, there's going to be another wide receiver out there that's looking for a home. Yeah. So no stress. You take some, you lose some. That's just kind of the way it is. And at at the end of the day, some of these transfers, like for Virginia Tech and every program out there, like these guys aren't gonna see the field. So it allows Virginia Tech to possibly fill some other needs in all these other schools in a different way than just through recruiting. It's a more immediate right. fix. So it's not necessarily all bad. From that no, standpoint, it's, it's not. I really like it. It's almost like a free agency kind of play almost. Well, um, yeah, I but, like it for the guys in particular. Right. Um, the, you know, the transfer portal being a thing and making it easy for people to you know get their name out there. I'm all about guys that feel like they are not being served in the best manner or they are not being, you know, their full potential isn't be, being realized where they are. I want all the shackles off those guys if they think they can improve their situation I am all for it, so go do it. I hold nothing against any of these guys, nothing. And, and that's the part where we as fans need to kind of detach and look at it from the player standpoint and what's best for them. And, you know, for, for guys sitting on the bench in their senior year, not, best, not the best thing for those guys. For guys who aren't getting playing time and are getting passed over on depth charts, not the best thing for those guys. For guys that have had their schemes change, their coaches change, 
not the best thing for those guys to hang around. And yeah, I'm maybe. all for those guys finding homes and, and finding out where they want to be. And I, I think what we've seen, too, is a lot of players that have been leaving Virginia Tech, they've been going to FCS-level programs. Yeah, and there's nothing wrong with that. No, and that's, you know, they for another team to... I follow closely, NC State has the same thing going on. Right. Um, because maybe they don't want to sit out a year. Maybe no. they want to play right away to get it those would. extra reps. Right. So, and, and for that, I'd say knock yourself out, man. And, you know, we can't continue to worry about the transfer portal the way we have the biggest fear as a fan base of this transfer portal. You know, it's like the boogeyman for this fan base after what happened a couple of years ago and what's continued to happen. The only issue is it's commonplace now and it's not going away. No, it's so it's only going to get come worse. To terms from here. with it, it's only going to exactly. It's it's exactly. only going to get worse. And I mean, look, Duke has twelve guys in the portal. Miami's got twelve guys in the portal. I think Virginia Tech has roughly twelve guys in the portal. Clemson's got a bunch of guys in the portal. It just it happens. Okay, UConn has twenty plus in the portal. You know, yeah. at least you're not a husky. At least you're not UConn. Okay, I say that often, but right. it could always get worse. Justin. So, so one team that I thought is is interesting is is Miami. So, Derek King quarterback from Houston I don't know if you followed this kind of when it happened but um what's his face the uh the West Virginia coast uh Dana Dana Holgerson so he Mm -hmm. he went and took over Houston last year and he did you know there was uh some reports coming out that certain players like De'Ara King decided to only play in four games or less because they had started off the season so bad for a tank essentially I don't know what tanking gets you in, in college football, but the idea right. of tanking is you get that extra year of eligibility for De'Ara King, for example. So the idea was that he would go back to Houston. He decided to enter the transfer portal. He's actually headed to Miami. So with him going to Miami, Jaron Williams enters the transfer portal. So Williams also was in flux about entering the portal last season. You know, I don't think he's going to be back in Miami. I think the writing's on the wall there. Are you ready for this one, Tim? What's De'Ara that? King currently has the fourth best odds to win the Heisman right now. Yeah. That's behind Justin Fields, Trevor Lawrence, and uh, Spencer Rattler of Oklahoma, which is all we need is another Oklahoma quarterback in the Heisman conversation. So last year, or two years ago, I should say, he completed 63.5% of his passes, almost 3,000 yards, 36 touchdowns, 6 picks, and averaged over 6 yards per carry with 14 touchdowns on the ground. He had a 91.2 grade for the entire pro football focus season. That's what he graded out at. So he's pretty solid. He's a pretty solid quarterback. Now that's against uh, weaker competition, I guess you could say. And you know, I, don't, I don't know. I mean, I'm I don't not going to really throw that around right with, football. The, with the ACC. Yeah, um, I mean, so I mean, I, I think houses. that's I think that's a pretty big get for Miami. Um, it's huge. It's huge, man. Um, you know, the only thing working against him is you know potentially some of the issues they ran into this year is you know at times and at times for the bulk of the season they look completely hapless and, and like a team that couldn't get out of its own way. Um, but Miami, yeah, that's man, that's big. Adding Quincy Roche at defensive end was big from Temple, a guy that Virginia Tech coveted. Um, you know, Miami making some noise in the transfer portal, and as always, they're going to come into the season at the very least as a paper tiger. Yeah, and I mean, Quincy Roche is another guy they landed, uh, a target that the Hokies were hoping they'd get. You know, he's a guy, he was the uh, AAC Defensive Player of the Year last year at 49 tackles, 19 for a loss, 13 sacks. He was the highest graded pass rusher behind only Chase Young. So, yeah. a big get for Miami there, but... We've seen this story before with Miami. They win the offseason. They won the transfer they, portal last yeah. season. They always do. You know, it's okay. so let's let's before we overreact and go ahead and hand them the coastal in the in the preseason, let's always remember we haven't seen Miami put it together in a long, long time. You know, take right. away the seventeen season where they were, you know, in the top ten in November before, you know, it all fell apart for them. But there's still a lot to be seen out of Miami before we should you know, kind of jump on the wagon there. But um, another kind of big news item just in the ACC transfer world is, you know, Boston College got a quarterback from Notre Dame, Phil Jerkovich, who was a super highly rated quarterback coming out of high school. So I think it's a pretty, pretty big transfer for them. Um, A pretty big get. Um, And with that, Anthony Brown has entered the portal as well. So 
um, I wouldn't expect to see him back. So I don't know if uh, if uh, Jerkovic is is uh, immediately eligible or not, but I would assume so with the with the Brown decision to transfer. Yeah, and then you know, recently I think today we've got Jaron Williams going in the portal from Miami, which you alluded to. Um, there's there's a lot going on right now, but th- this is active. And, and, you know, you expect it to be for the next little while as names will continue to leak out. And, um, you know, I think Jerkovic to BC is awesome, especially for them. Um, you know, he kind of goes to a similar situation, Catholic school. Um, you know, it'll be interesting to see what he can do up there in Boston College, along with all the other changes they have going on. And I'm excited. Look, Derek King could absolutely light it up in Miami and, uh, you know, the Coastal with UNC, it's setting up to be a very, very strong year in the Coastal, in my opinion, is what I'm reading into all of these moves. Yeah, no doubt, Tim. So let's let's go ahead and jump into the 2020 football schedule. So we're looking at Virginia Tech here. They open the season with Liberty. Then they have Penn State on the road at Middle Tennessee. North Alabama to follow. That's an FCS opponent, recent FCS. That's since 2017, I believe. Georgia Tech at North Carolina, open week. Thursday night game, Boston College at home. On the road at Louisville, at Pittsburgh on a Friday night. Miami at Duke and hosting Virginia to close out the season. What are your initial thoughts on on that schedule? Uh, you know, I think the schedule is fine. My, my initial thoughts are, you know, one, Liberty's not going to be easy. That'll be a tough opener. Um, you know, I don't expect us to get beat by Liberty, but certainly this isn't a slouch Liberty team. And when you've got a game like Penn State looming on the horizon, it'll just be important to stay focused for that one. Uh, Penn State, obviously the star of the show. I think, you know, the knock on Fuente, and rightfully so, is that he hasn't won a big one yet, really. Um, all the games that we thought were big ones, such as Notre Dame, you know, in his first couple of years here, Notre Dame ended up having a losing record that year, I believe. So he hasn't, he hasn't had a win against a solid team. Uh, and by solid, I mean, let's call it top 25, top 20. Uh, this is his chance to really, I think, make a statement early on in the season and make it, you know, get a huge landmark victory for him in his career here at Virginia Tech. And, you know, like it or not, we're labeled as the Chokies for a reason. And until we start winning games like Penn State, that mantra is going to hang around. So uh, that's a really, really big opportunity to go ahead and kind of plant your flag early in the season and say, hey, we've got some high aspirations this year. And I, I would just want to say that I don't think a loss to Penn State means that we can't have a successful season. No, not at all. Not at all. It's um, just it's it's a chance to... It really, yeah. It's a win-win for us. I mean, if we lose, we lose to a great team, but we really have a huge opportunity on the table but that doesn't come around Penn often. But don't State and then lose to Middle Tennessee. <laughs> Please don't. Because we've seen that story before, too. Please don't. For yeah, a variety of reasons. You're bringing me uh, flashbacks of ECU after Ohio State. Thanks. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But that's what I'm saying. So, you know, I don't know if they're going to beat Penn State or not. It's It's too early to worry about that at this point. But, you know, Liberty, Middle Tennessee, North Alabama, Georgia Tech, you know, Boston College, Duke, those should all be wins. No doubt. Um, You know, Pittsburgh, Jalen Twyman, he's coming back. They're still going to have a really legit defensive line. They had a couple of guys that couldn't even play this year because they got hurt in the summertime. It's going to be an even better defensive line. I know Virginia Tech beat them 28-0 this year. But that's not a team to overlook, and Virginia Tech historically hasn't played great at Pittsburgh, and that's a tough little stretch because they're at Louisville the week before on Halloween, then they're at Pittsburgh on a Friday night, and then they've got Miami after that at home. So that's a that's a three-game stretch that's, that's critical um, after the Thursday night Boston College game. I think that's going to basically define the season. You know, what can Virginia Tech do? Can, you know... The, the biggest game for me in the first half of the season is the North Carolina game. Even bigger than Penn State because the North Carolina game is an ACC game. Mm-hmm. And I don't think we think Virginia Tech is going to be in the college football playoff picture next year. Now, I'm not saying they can't be. Sure. But sure. I think we're being realistic. That's probably not going to happen. Okay? So that, to me, 
is why the game on the road at North Carolina on October 10th is the biggest game in the first six weeks of the season. Um, because I also think it's going to be their stiffest competition for the Coastal. So that game is going to be super critical. I think the Hokies can afford possibly two losses in conference play next year. It just depends who those losses are to. Um, you know, I don't think Virginia is going to be nearly as big of a threat without Bryce Perkins. No. Uh, Duke, I just don't think is going to be very good. You know, Miami, they've gotten better, we think, on paper. But, you know, we don't play them until November. So there's there's a lot of football to be played before we even talk about Miami and what they're going to look like. We should have a pretty good idea of that going into the game. But this is a very winnable schedule for Virginia Tech. It's it's not it's it's not the toughest schedule you're ever going to see. Okay? So, I think there's the possibility of playing three, maybe four teams that are ranked at some point in the season. That would be Penn State, North Carolina, Louisville, and Miami, I would say. Um, but let's see let's see what happens. So, I mean, the Liberty game I'm not worried about. Middle Tennessee, North Alabama, Georgia Tech, not worried about those games. I want to see how we compete against Penn State, especially at home. Mm-hmm. That's going to be a game where we're going to have a ton of recruits there for 2021 and beyond. That's a huge game for in-state recruiting, which I think you could say it feels like Virginia Tech has a new, renewed focus on recruiting the Commonwealth with how they've structured that defensive staff. You would think there's so many guys that are focused on Virginia that they would go out and, and try to dominate the state. Winning against Penn State at home is a pretty good place to start because yeah. we see a lot of the t- upper tier talent go to Penn State or you know go to a program in the SEC. That would certainly put Virginia Tech on the map, but what I'm saying is, beating Penn State's great. Don't lose to Boston College. Yeah. Don't lose to Duke. Don't lose to Georgia Tech. You know, beat North Carolina. You know, you can lose a conference game here and there, but beat the teams you're supposed to beat. We can't have another season of, oh, well, you know, hey, they lost to Boston College, they lost to Duke, but then they turned a corner. That just cannot happen in 2020. And the season is structured completely differently than than last season. But if I'm a Hokies fan, I'm looking at this, and I don't really know what to think. First off, it's January. I'd say... Worst case scenario is four losses. I'd say best case scenario is undefeated. Yeah. I mean, and if you don't think they can go undefeated, then, or you don't expect them to go undefeated, or you don't think that's a possibility, then, you know, do you do you ever think we're going to go undefeated? Because I mean, this schedule sets up pretty well with a big win. You got to have that one big win to go undefeated. Yeah. I mean, it's it's within the realm of possibility, and that's what's so exciting about 2020. Um, you know, as long as we're not dealing on any earth-shattering injury bugs, um, anything unforeseen, it, it's set up so nicely for us from a schedule standpoint, from a marquee victory standpoint. Um, man, it's going to be an exciting football year next year, and I'm I'm pumped. And yeah, it's it's not crazy talk to talk about potentially going undefeated. Um, you know, we're lucky that we play in the side of the conference that we play on and that we got the draw on the opposite side in the manner that we did. Um, it all works out for us. Obviously going undefeated would mean beating Clemson. Um, and that's the, that would be the tallest order of all of them. But, um, you know, at least regular season, I think there's, there's no reason we couldn't at least, uh, hold on to a little bit of hope there. And I mean, the Hokies are going into next season with the goal of winning the ACC, championship not the coastal the coastal it's it's like winning your division right okay big deal big deal you need to win the conference that's the expectation that's the goal Mm -hmm. okay then whatever comes after that is is golden you know if you're undefeated going into game against clemson fantastic you're probably in the college football playoff picture but Let's not kid ourselves. That's probably not going to happen. But win the Coastal first, then win the ACC second, and then whatever happens after that happens. So I mean, I, mean, I think get, getting that's where back we're to that Tech football. 
getting back to that championship game is crucial. Um, we, we've got to start getting back to those expectations of, hey, we're going to play for the ACC championship every year. Uh, step one of that whole arc is going to be we're playing for the Coastal Championship. Anything less than that, or the Coastal Championship, we're playing for the ACC Championship as a representative of the Coastal. Anything less than that, given this schedule, to me is a failure. Got to be in that game. Yep. Got to be in that game. And if you're not, there's going to be a lot of questions to answer. Now, do I think Fuente gets fired if he's not? No. It depends. It depends um, on how, how far well, off things were. Yeah. You know. I, I just I can't imagine they're going to be that far off with this schedule. No, I can't either. And if they are, then... Then he deserves it, flat out. Then some, I mean, yeah. I mean, so it, they, it just, we, we won't have to worry about that. I just don't think that's going to happen with this team coming back. I can't so. fathom it either. A, a lot of a lot of time to talk about it to Joel, but always fun to get like a way too early reaction to to the schedule that doesn't kick off for, you know, what is that, nine months? Yeah, so it's a while. Kind of sad to think about, but yeah, we'll see. It'll be fun times. But let's let's not let's not overlook our uh, our basketball team there, Tim. No, let's not. I love to talk about UNC getting beat. So. Hokies take down North Carolina, and you can't typically say this, but a loss to North Carolina would have been really bad for Virginia Tech this year because North Carolina is uh, not great. So if you haven't noticed from a basketball standpoint, uh, the loss brings them to 8-10. and 10. It's the first time ever in school history that they've lost six games in a row in conference play. And uh, it had to go to double overtime. And I, I tell you, watching the game, watching the entirety of the game, you know, I understand uh, North Carolina was undermanned, but you can go ahead and cry me a river um, considering, you know, the amount of talent they still had on the court. I understand that, you know, from a depth standpoint, they were they were hurting, but, you know, don't talk to me about depth. No, don't talk to I, me about I don't want to hear know, about guys depth that aren't ready and, to play. and lack of talent on UNC given the manner in which they recruit. Um you know, they're spoiled with riches when it comes to that. So I don't want to hear any of that. Um, and, you know, UNC is going to be capable of giving anyone a tough time because of that talent that they have, uh, regardless of their depth issues. And for us, a bad matchup given their size. And that was evident on, you know, I, I think, is it towards the end of the first overtime, maybe the second overtime, uh, they had two possessions back-to-back where it seems like they got four offensive rebounds on each possession and just kept missing shots, missing shots, missing shots. And that's going to happen this year when we deal with, with teams with size. We just aren't equipped for that. Although I think Ojiako stepping up nicely. Um, what Tyrese Radford is able to do out of a 6-1 body is remarkable. Um but Jalen Cohn, I mean, obviously the star of the game for me and probably you as well, the guy just knocks down three-pointers at a clip and a percentage that is hard to fathom at this point. Yeah, he's got a pretty incredible jumper. And, I mean, I saw a statistic that I really liked. It was, uh, let's see, yeah. The rest of the Hokies were 8 for 26 from three. Mm. Cohn was 6 for 11. Gotta love On it. On the season... On the season, he's 40 for 72. That's 55.5%. I mean, that's an insane clip. It is. And, you know, Nolly was really struggling last night from three, which, you know, will occasionally happen. And he shoots a lot of threes. Naheem Aleen was struggling from three, but he hit a big one there in double overtime. You know, P.J. Horn, he's just struggled all season from from three, but, you know, he'll keep shooting them. And he's another guy who stepped up big. He made two huge free throws down the stretch in that game. And the thing with Virginia Tech, with the way that the game opened, you know, they they didn't seem like themselves. They were playing sloppy. You know, these these shooting droughts that they go through sometimes, it's just painful to endure. But North Carolina had every single opportunity to put that game away. Absolutely. Every opportunity. And to me, you know, it, it just goes back to coaching a little bit, you know. Like, I don't, I just don't want to hear excuses about North Carolina's roster and their injuries and things like that. I just don't want to hear it. You know, Virginia Tech, they were supposed to be the team that was 1-6 in the conference. 
They were supposed to be the team that was 8 and 10. They were the team picked to finish last. Okay? They've got a bunch of freshmen and sophomores playing. No experience. Tyrese Radford, walk on. Okay? Getting big minutes, making the most of them. Jalen Cohn should still be in high school. We were able to persuade him to come out early, and he's starting to take on a huge role in this offense. You know, it's it's crazy. And what Mike Young is doing, you know, if he doesn't win National Coach of the Year, I just don't understand why he even hand out the award. And yeah. I know they love to give that award to schools that are like a top seed and you know, maybe Anthony Grant has a case there at Dayton. But with the expectations that Virginia Tech had and where they're at now, it's pretty incredible. Now, could that perception change as we go through February and the rest of March and the rest of January? Yeah. Yeah. You know, you know maybe they fall apart. But it feels like they're not going to because yeah. of coaching. It feels like it doesn't. I mean, and you contrast Roy Williams, who by all accounts is a Hall of Fame coach. Um, he is as good as it gets. But you even see him. I mean, some of the decisions from him yesterday were just strange, especially at the end of the first overtime. Uh, you have the ball plenty of time. You end up pulling up for a jump shot when, you know, all you need is a bucket. And to me, as a coach, I would be screaming, I mean, you've got to try to attack the rim. You get fouled, you get foul shots, you know, you, you, you put a, a layup on, you know, the rim and, and you get a chance for a tap in. Um, and you have a guy like Roy who seems nonplussed when his guy pulls up for a long range jump shot when, you know, they didn't need anything like that. Um, you know, we saw something similar in the last game uh, against Syracuse where uh, Nolly did the same thing, essentially, except to a much worse extent because he had people open under the basket. Um, and, and you, you could tell from Mike Young's reaction that's not what he wanted. But, you know, you didn't see that from Roy. And, and the fact that it's basically a David and Goliath-type situation when you just look at the talent and the recruiting profiles of both sides, Mike Young getting what he's getting out of that team just continues to blow me away. I mean, he's got a six-one guy playing center at sometimes it seems, uh, with the way Radford plays, and, and somehow he's great at it. You also got a coach that's instilled the confidence in his players for a guy like Radford who didn't have a bucket all game to take it to the hole for the game-winning shot in the second overtime. That's not happening at other places. Um, Mike Young is a special, special guy, and I'm not just talking on the court results here. Look at what he's doing outside of the game. Look at how he treats the media. This is a guy that we're going to want in Blacksburg a long time. And, and I'm just really, really thankful that Witt made the hire that he made because it wasn't the obvious decision. Um, and it, it's paying off you know, in spades right now for a team that really had no high hopes to now, according to ESPN's BPI, or I think that's what it is, the index of the chance of making the tournament, they're sitting at 73%. Um, now, that's yeah. fluid. That can change. But none of us could have seen this coming. Well, I mean, and two, you know, the ACC as a conference is is down this year. Um, it, it's not as oh, strong yeah. as it as it has been, um, and you know, part of that is North Carolina isn't great. You know, Virginia's not having a, a good year, um, you know, like they had been having. You know, you know, it's really tough to see that. Shucks. Um, you know, Notre Dame has been kind of mediocre the last couple of seasons, but. You know, you've got a number of teams. You know, Boston College has lost four games in a row. Georgia Tech has lost three games in a row. Miami has lost three games in a row. You know, those are all teams that Virginia Tech has coming up on your schedule. And so what's going to be interesting to see is now Virginia Tech went from a team with no expectations whatsoever to now, you know, March is very, very real. And at this point, if they don't get it, you know, it's kind of a disappointment. So, you know, they've got two more games against Boston College. They got two more games against Miami. They got, you know, a game against Georgia Tech. You know, at this point, those games are must wins, you know, to yeah. really kind of secure that berth because you don't want to point to a win like that and, you know, say, hey, you know, well, you know, they just lost to Miami. You know, oh, they just lost on the road to Notre Dame to, to close out 
the ACC slate. You know, hey, if they can beat a Louisville on the road, that'd be a huge boost. If they can beat a Duke, that'd be a huge boost. And, I mean, hey, they've already got the win over Michigan State. That's their marquee win. Yeah. You know, beating Virginia at this point in the season isn't going to be a marquee win. It certainly wouldn't be a bad win, but it's not going to be no. a great win. It'll be a quad one win. It might be a win, worse loss. Which will help. Well, depending um, on how Virginia's going. Virginia, right. Virginia is, is struggling right the now. Trend, the trend is poor. Um, you know, that, that game against NC State they played was, was ugly um, from both sides. And, you know, Virginia's offense is just frighteningly bad at this point. And, um, you know, the rough part for them is, you know, that it doesn't seem to be improving. It doesn't seem like it can improve unless they get some new blood. The game I really have circled, the one I'm really interested in, is Florida State. Because that's at home. It's February 1st. First game of February, which I think February is a crucial month um, considering the slate. And Florida State is number five in the country for those that aren't aware. Yeah. You know, Leonard Hamilton is, is doing some things there. And, and Florida State is a team, for whatever reason, the last couple of seasons that has just seemed to kind of fly under the radar. They don't get talked about a whole lot. Um, but they're, you know, they're good. probably the best team in the ACC right now. Yeah. Um, so, you know, Virginia Tech, they, they've got on the road at Boston College on Saturday. Uh, then, they, or then they're on the road at Miami on Tuesday. You know, they win those two games. They're sitting at 16-5 and five to close out January, which I don't think anybody in their wildest dreams would have imagined that. And then they go home, and, and they're going to face probably their toughest test of the season in Florida State. Um, and, you know, that takes into account Dayton and, and Michigan State as well. You know, I think Florida State – is uh it's going to be a huge test so uh that's next saturday um so it's a basically a week from from tomorrow um and you know if you're a Hokies fan i'm sure you're going to be glued to that television to kind of see what happens there yeah absolutely and the fact that we're potentially talking about a run in march uh i just can't believe it but i am happy we're here and uh you know wit continues to look like an absolute genius yeah yeah, no doubt. So that is that's all I had for today, Tim. Do you got anything else? No, I don't. I don't think I have anything else for this show. Uh, I think it was good. It's nice, you know. These outside of football season shows can uh, sometimes lack for things to talk about, but that was not the case this week. <laughs> a lot going on. Yeah, a lot going on. Uh, we've been kind of jumping around on our days. You know, it's been. Uh, you know, we've had a few you know, personal things pop up and, um, some things like that. But once we kind of get into like core off season, we'll kind of settle into a date before jumping back to, to two a weeks, uh, when the season starts. But, uh, you know, thanks, uh, thanks for being here. Be sure to, to go leave those reviews, leave us five stars. If, if you don't mind, uh, you know, go, go to all your podcasts, wherever you're listening, uh, rate, subscribe, tell your friends, you know, tell them what's up. Go to chowderandgrits.com. Go to Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Chowder and Grits. Follow us, interact, like. Tim, why don't you tell these people what they can do for us? Leave us some reviews. Obviously, we love the five-star reviews. But the four-star reviews are good, too. Uh, get, you know, give us some shout-outs. Let us know what we can prove. Uh, give us some, some talking points on Twitter. Let us know what questions you'd like us to address. Uh, anything as we go you know, moving forward. Obviously, word of mouth is the best. So if you know some friends that like some Hope Podcasts, uh, give us a shout out. Uh, let them know that uh, you know they can find us on the airwaves, talking about Virginia Tech sports and the ACC as a whole. So um, obviously, we appreciate you guys sharing. We appreciate you listening, uh, and more importantly, we look forward to speaking with you again next week. See you guys later.